0: sermon series from Matthew 5 through 7, A Kingdom Upside Down. We've learned that this sermon begins with a very famous, classic passage of scripture called the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes describe the character of those who are part of the kingdom. No, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom, Jesus said. But those who do enter the kingdom will reflect the character of the king. And Jesus outlines those characteristics and qualities in these first verses that are called the Beatitudes. This morning we are considering the second Beatitude which I've entitled the Gladness of Sadness. And our text is taken from verse 4 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Aren't you thankful for that promise today? They shall be comforted. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the comforter who has come to walk alongside of us. You are the comforter and the teacher who has come to show us the way of God. So we open up our hearts to you to receive the truth that you have for us today. And we praise you for how your word will enter into our hearts, how your spirit will anoint these lips and the ears of all who hear what the spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, I don't think we need to really reflect too long upon the thought that we're living in a world that embraces entertainment and pursues pleasure as somewhat of a narcotic because there is so much pain, there is so much suffering, there is so much trial, there is so much tribulation in the world. So it seems that at any cost, We will pursue pleasure, and we do anything possible to avoid sorrow and to avoid pain. And the mantra of many who live in the world today is probably this beatitude, blessed are those who can laugh their way through life. But the reality is, They live in the truth of Proverbs 14 and 13, which says, Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and joy sometimes ends in grief, does it not? But in contrast to that, Jesus said, Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are those who sorrow. You know, you look at those words, and then he follows it up with the promise, for they shall be comforted. And it seems like that beatitude is so profoundly paradoxical. How is it possible for the unhappy, those who are sorrowing, those who are grieving, to then be happy? How do we find gladness in sadness? But Jesus clearly states, that if you really want to know my comfort, then it is found through the path of sadness and tears. So this morning we want to look at the different circumstances that come into our lives causing those sorrow and tears, but first to understand how those, this Beatitude speaks to each of those circumstances and causes us to find comfort. So I think the first thing that we need to do this morning is to establish that there are three kinds of mourning. For those of you who are taking notes, I won't ask who's taking notes, but those of you who are taking notes, those three are these. There is natural mourning, there is sinful mourning, and there is also spiritual mourning. Natural mourning is something that all of us in life will experience as we grieve over the losses that we suffer in life. How many of us know that we live in a fallen world? How many of us know that in this world there is suffering, there is sorrow? Life is full of heartache and pain and loss. And fair warning if you say, no, life's been going pretty well for me. Well, live long enough. And I guarantee that you will experience some kind of loss in your life. Perhaps some of you are sitting in this church this morning and are going through some phase of loss, some deep sorrow in your heart, because sadly part of living is dying, and sooner or later we're all confronted with the most devastating of all losses. That death. The death of a parent, the death of a child, the death of a spouse, a sibling, a close friend. And we know that people deeply sorrow even over the loss of a pet. Pets become so integral to our families, do they not? And when they live their short lives and leave us, we are in deep, deep sorrow. Perhaps, the deep sorrow is the result of someone who is very dear to you, who just decided to take offense and walked out of your life. And you've been now crying yourself to sleep every night. We need to understand that being Christians does not mean that we do not sorrow. It does not mean that we do not weep. We are human and we hurt. The good news is that God understands and he cares. And when we look at our Savior who walked this earth, the Bible is so very clear that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I know when we were growing up as kids, we used to think we were really cool when we'd say, oh, I know a verse of scripture that I've memorized. That verse found in John 11:35: 35, Jesus wept. And you kind of make a joke about that, but the reality is when you think about what that verse means. And I was looking at some different versions of the reading of that verse, and in the International Standard Version, it brings home the intensity of what Jesus felt in that moment as he stood at the grave of Lazarus. And this is how it's translated. Jesus burst into tears. He was so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow that he just burst into tears. And it wasn't something that was hidden. In fact, the Bible says that those that were looking at what was going on in that moment said, Behold how Jesus loved him. Lazarus was his close and personal friend. As he saw the sorrow all around him. burst into tears. It speaks volumes of the humanity of Jesus and his compassionate heart toward us. And we could be encouraged this morning when we have natural mourning because of the losses that come into our life. Do you understand and do you know that Jesus sees every tear that you shed? I love that verse in Psalm 56 And verse eight, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. You've stored my many tears in your bottle. Not one will be lost, for they are all recorded in your book of remembrance. In God's presence, there may be gallons of tears that some of you have shed because of the sorrow and the heartache that has come into your life. I just want to remind you and encourage you that God has recorded every one of those tears. So it's so comforting to know that we have the Lord, that we have his compassion, and we have him to turn to in our time of mourning so that he could bring us his comfort and bring us his peace. But this is not the mourning that Jesus is referring to in this beatitude because The Beatitudes, as we said, are character traits. Traits that we are to pursue in our lives as His disciples. So we read those like, blessed are the meek. meekness is something that you and I are to pursue as disciples of Jesus Christ. You and I are to pursue being hungry after righteousness. We're to pursue purity of heart but I see nowhere in the scripture where we are to pursue mourning and sadness and sorrow because of natural losses that come into our lives. We turn to Jesus and we lay and cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. So the second kind of mourning is sinful mourning. And in life, there are times when we engage rather willingly in sinful mourning because we are pining after things that God has not allowed us to have. And it's a spirit of covetousness that consumes us And as it consumes us, it can almost embitter us and does indeed embitter some people because God, how is it that you did this for so-and-so and and you gave this gift to so-and-so? Why have you left me out when I've cried out to you day and night, please, Lord, do this for me. Give this to me and somehow God has evaded your request. Sinful sorrow paul says in second corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death when there is ungodly sorrow when we're pining and we're pouting over things that we don't have or can't have or God has not allowed us to have in this particular frame of time, then that is a killer and it leads to death. But then thirdly and finally, there is a spiritual mourning that this beatitude is speaking of. And I believe that there are two facets to spiritual mourning that I want us to consider this morning. The first one is being sorrowful and weeping over the things that God weeps over. I think in the narcissistic age in which we are living, this should be phrased perhaps more as a challenge. And we should say as a challenge, I should be weeping and grieving over all the sin and the suffering that is in this world. Sometimes we are so self-centered and so self-focused that we're just oblivious to what others are suffering. Mm -hmm. We had the joy of having uh, our two younger grandchildren with us this week who just spent a couple of days and then headed back to Boston because of work schedules. But it was uh, John Lucas' birthday, and... uh, and Nona, you know, Nona, for those of you who are not Italian, that's grandmother. Grandmothers don't know what to do to make their grandchildren happy and lavish them. And so, uh, over the past couple of months, Kathy's been picking up little trinkets so she could give the kids a little Easter egg hunt. And lo and behold, Anya had a chocolate bunny in her basket and John Luca didn't have a chocolate bunny. So nothing else that he got mattered because he didn't get a chocolate bunny. And Kathy was sure she had two chocolate bunnies and maybe she hid it so well, he just didn't get it. And I said, John Luca, do you know how many children would love to have all the little toys that Nona bought for you? And you're gonna cry over a little chocolate bunny that actually you're not even allowed to eat because it's not healthy for you? Poor kid suffers from eczema, and he's lactose intolerant, and because of the milk chocolate, his mother tries for him not to have it. But you would not believe how he sorrowed over not having that chocolate money. It was like nothing else in that bag full of goodies that Nona bought for him mattered. Sometimes as adults, we are the same way. We just get pouty. You know, none of us are exempt from that. I love listening to great preachers, and sometimes I must admit it's a little tempting to say, Lord, why can't I preach like that? When I see a T.D. Jakes get up and just expound the word of God without a note in front of him, this pastor gets jealous because I spend hours and hours putting notes together. And God forbid, I probably, if I didn't have them, I might be buckshot all over the place. So th- this keeps me on track. But we, we've got to be careful that we don't get into that sinful pouting. So do we weep over the things that God weeps over? Do we weep? When we see in the public square his name and his word is defamed, do we weep at the thought that there are 40 to 50 million babies that are slaughtered in their mother's womb every year? Do we weep over the lost, those that are heading into a Christless eternity? Do we weep over those that are held in? Bondage to sin and can't seem to get victory over addictions that are destroying their lives. When was the last time we came before the Lord and instead of being so concerned about what we don't have and what we want, we said, Lord, I'm just here to share your heart that is broken over those that are backslidden, over those that are lukewarm over those that are wayward, those that once loved you but don't love you anymore. And so this morning, we we admit that we lament and grieve over the losses we suffer. And yes, hopefully, in this journey that there are times, and may, may the Lord increase those times, that we weep over the things that He weeps over over all the souls that he bled and died for. That if they reject Christ, they, they will not ever make it into God's heaven. But this beatitude, I believe, is specific specifically targeting the character of the disciple. And so the most poignant interpretation and application here is that you and I weep and sorrow over our own sinful natures. What do we know about spiritual mourning? Spiritual mourning almost sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? We think that, what are you talking about, pastor? I'm saved, why should I be weeping? I should rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yes, there are two truths that are in tension. We rejoice in the God of our salvation, but we also never lose sight of the fact that apart from the grace of God, we are fallen. And how many of us know, when we are not drawing near to God, the enemy so easily and quickly trips us up. But we don't sorrow, that's the problem. We don't, sorrow, we don't stop long enough to say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And thank God that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're living in a world where it seems that in the Christian church, we don't talk about the need for mourning. Because after all, again, we're saved. We went to the altar. We cried our tears over our sin initially. But now that we're saved, we don't weep anymore over our sin. And that's what gets bandied about as the gospel truth. As one preacher said, our faith has been so emaciated, so diluted, so gutted of its biblical fabric as to be unrecognizable from what Jesus Christ actually taught. Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I see a twofold problem today. It is our misunderstanding of the most fundamental aspects of our salvation experience. What does it take for us to get saved? It takes faith in Jesus Christ, and it takes repenting of our sins. But do we really understand what it means to exercise faith in Christ for our salvation? So many people have come to think that faith means a simple mental assent. Oh yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin. Well, I think we all know that the Bible says the devil also believes So is it enough just to believe? Is it enough just to agree in our mind that yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus came to this earth as a baby. Yes, Jesus was nailed to the cross. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he was raised. Is that enough? Or is it the kind of faith that unites us with Christ and it is in that union with Christ that something happens and that something is changed? Because many man being Christ, he is a new creation, old things, and I wanna put my spuler paraphrase on this, progressively progressively, it doesn't happen overnight, all things progressively pass away and all things progressively become new. Because now that you're saved, why you used to easily fall into sin a year ago, now maybe it's a temptation every once in a while, but after you were first saved, you're thinking, ooh, this thing still has a hold on me. But now you have the Spirit of God, and if you if you if you appropriate the Holy Spirit and you appropriate the Word of God, you find you can defeat that and you get stronger and stronger. It's like being in a gym and building your muscles. Yeah. Start lifting weights and those things that were so heavy now don't seem so heavy. You just Yeah. But it's that change that we neglect seeing that God wants to bring into our lives. We can agree with all the doctrines. And there are countless people who say, yeah, I was at a Billy Graham crusade. And he said, who wants to come to the cross? Who wants to come to Christ? Come to Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they say, I believe in Jesus. They say the sinner's prayer, but nothing changes. Part of the change is that as we mourn over our sinfulness and look to the cross, we see the power of God's salvation at work in our lives. Secondly, scriptural repentance means much more than just admitting that I'm a sinner and asking God to forgive us. You know, the Bible has so much to say about repentance, so much to say about repentance, and yet we think that the only area of of repentance that we need to be concerned about is when we first got saved yeah i repented of my sins i know i used to do this and i used to do that and i used to but after i came to jesus i put away those things but are there perhaps some sins of the spirit put away the sins of the flesh what about the sins of the spirit has the holy spirit convicted us of those sins where there's Bitterness, or there's jealousy, or there's animosity, or there's malice, or there's uh, offense. Do we mourn over those sins? Jesus was nailed to the cross as much for those sins as adultery and murder. See, we, we have a way as Christians of categorizing. Oh, I, when you look at the world, boy, I'm, I'm just, I'm lily white. There ain't nothing wrong with me. But if we get before a holy God, and if we could really see ourselves, yes, God sees us in the righteousness of Christ but God doesn't want to leave us in our natural state. He wants to change us from glory to glory. That doesn't mean you wear a bigger glow on your face. It means that you're becoming more Christ-like. And instead of being bitter, you put aside the bitterness. Instead of having hatred, you put aside the hatred and you replace it with love. Instead of jealousy, you're saying, oh Lord, I'm so glad you've blessed so-and-so with what I don't have. They deserve it. You, if you bless them, then praise God. I want to doubly blessed. These are things that don't come natural to us. But that's what God is expecting of us. And the real repentance in God's word is so very clear. Didn't Jesus, first of all, teach us in the Lord's Prayer? Is the Lord's Prayer something that we're to pray all the time? I'm not saying it's a vain repetition. As some religions, you know, they, they say that the 10 Hail Marys and the, the 10 Our Fathers. I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of praying. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern. It, it's a template. This is how we pray. And I, I better not start because I'm going to go into a sermon on I'm stick to my notes this morning <laughs> on the Lord's Prayer. But in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to repent, forgive us. Lord, I'm in need of your forgiveness. Forgive my trespasses, forgive my debts, even as I forgive those who trespass against me. So there there are two verses of scripture that I want to point out this morning. One is Isaiah 55, where the scripture says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Our thoughts can be unrighteous. They're not in alignment with the Word of God. And when our thoughts, you could say, I don't have any wicked ways. Well, that's between you and God. But I know all of us as humans, there are sometimes that thoughts come into our mind that are not pleasing to God, that are not Christ-like, and we need to mourn. If you want to be delivered, if I want to be delivered over those sins, we need to allow the radiation to penetrate that cancer and eradicate it. And that's the only way, that is the only way that the change will take place in our lives. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and he will abundantly pardon. You know, to forsake means to renounce our sinful ways and our sinful thinking. We need to renounce how we rationalize away and how we justify and how we whitewash sins that are displeasing to God. When we follow that instruction, we need to see that it's a thousand miles away from merely admitting, Oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Lord forgive me. Sometimes our our prayer for repentance is, and Lord, any sins that I committed today, please just please forgive me. Have we really thought about the sins that we may have committed, that displeased or dishonored the Lord? Jesus is saying, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The second verse I'm gonna point out is 2 Timothy 2, 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, The Lord knows those who are His. Aren't you glad to know that God knows those who are His? You may feel sometimes like you're nobody. You may feel sometimes that who notices me? Who cares about me? He does. And if He cares about me, I don't care about anyone else who cares about me. Because you are His beloved. You are His favorite one. That's something to be happy about. That's something to rejoice in. But it's also something that should sober us. Because the Lord knows those whose hearts are fully after him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of who? Those whose hearts are loyal toward him. Those who have hearts that say, God, I want to serve you on Monday when I don't feel your presence like I feel it on Sunday when I'm in church. Lord, I want to be loyal to you. I want to be devoted to you every hour of every day. The Lord knows those who are his. And listen to this. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How many of us know that we can't negotiate with God? This word is non-negotiable. What is written is written. I know they're trying to rewrite the scriptures. They're taking out the verses that they don't like. It's the scripture according to man. But when God gave his word, he said, this is my word. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. And if we say Jesus is Lord, we better be careful. Because if Jesus is Lord, depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. If there's iniquity in our hearts, those, I I like this more modern version of this verse, those who say they belong to the Lord must turn away from all wrongdoing. Sometimes we think, oh, yeah, yeah. Even though I might be tempted, I I never look at porn on, on my computer but you're harboring unforgiveness. Do you name the name of Christ? Depart from iniquity. That's iniquity in God's sight. Depart from it. Means to make an about face, no longer feeling it's okay that I'm in disobedience. Well, I can feel the way that I'm human. Not human. Yeah, you walk in the flesh, but you live by the spirit. That's not human. That's supernatural. God's given us the way to live in victory over sin. And trust me this morning, if you're getting annoyed with what I'm saying, please don't be, because I'm preaching to myself. And if any of you can take anything from what I'm saying, then I'm glad for that. Preach, Pastor, preach. I came across this quote by Dr. Alan Bradpath, who once preached these sobering words, God has never promised to, f- to forgive one sin that we have not promised to forsake. Now that sobers me. Because what? how can we live without the forgiveness of God? If you don't have the forgiveness of God, you're miserable. David said, my, my bones... The very inner being of David was was just deteriorating and destroyed. He had no peace. He had nothing because he had transgression that he had not repented of. He did not mourn over. God does not promise to forgive one sin that we have not promised to forsake. God's looking for the earnestness and the sincerity of our hearts that, Lord, I will renounce that sin. I will turn away from that sin. I will make an about face and go in the other direction. Repentance is a change of mind. You don't think the same way you used to think about that sin. Oh, yeah, that really satisfies my flesh. Oh, yeah, that really feels good. Oh, yeah, I can do that. No, 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 no. You change your mind. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. These eyes are meant to look to the things of God, to be pure in heart. But without purity of heart, no man shall see the Lord. Somehow, we in this 21st century, we've reduced something that has no comparison to the Word of God. Think about this for a moment. If God took sin so seriously, as to send his son and crush him. That's the word in Isaiah 53. It pleased, this blows your mind, but it pleased the father to crush his son. As parents, would it ever please us to hurt our children in any way, shape, or form? But God recognized the only way he could have his sons and daughters back was through the sacrifice of his son. So it meant so much to God to crush his son on the cross so that you and I could have salvation. And now that we have this salvation, can we be so flippant as to think, I can still walk in this sin, I can still justify this wrongdoing, I can still uh, placate these pious platitudes that are contrary to the word of God. Should not require anything less of us than a total commitment of our lives to walk in total obedience to God. Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn. Do we know what it means to mourn? Are we mourning in a biblically prescribed manner? Or do we come to the Lord in prayer and we're just complaining, we're shedding tears, but there are tears over the selfish things. Oh God. You know how much pain I am. So-and-so doesn't love me the way they should love me. Ah. Not mourning, as Jesus, when he mourned, the word in the original language is the strongest, and in this passage of scripture, blessed are they that mourn, is the strongest one that is available in the the, the original language, and that is to grieve or to wail with the same intensity that you would grieve or wail over the sudden death over someone who is nearest and dearest to you. Yeah, that's sad. You, know, you stop and think about that. You know, God forbid, if my wife dropped dead, I don't know. I would probably go berserk. in just such a deep sorrow and wailing because that person means so much to me. And Jesus is saying that's how we should mourn over our sins. It's described in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When James admonishes the Christians his age he said and we know it's by the Spirit so it's also for our age grieve mourn and wail wail. change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom when Peter finally realized what he did by denying Jesus three times what does the Bible tell us that he went out and wept bitterly. You could have heard Peter wailing, how could I have denied my Jesus? His heart was crushed and broken at the realization that he was capable of doing such a thing. David Brainerd, I don't know if any of you are familiar with him, he was actually a missionary to the American Indians, and he lived to, I believe, I don't even know if he reached his early 30s, but he was a man who spent hours and hours in prayer. And somehow, by a miracle, we have his journal so he could read the secrets that he expressed from his heart in those times of prayer. And on this one day, he wrote these words In my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and I bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. I think that in Christian churches we've gotten such large doses of of who we are in Christ and and our position in Christ and how glorious it is to be a Christian and all the gifts and the power and the anointing and this and that and, and this part of the truth that is equally in the word of God truth intention yes the truth is here but it's also in here blessed are they who mourn Isaiah when he saw the Lord, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Here he was a prophet of God. Here he was a man who walked with God, that the people of his day looked up to Isaiah. He he was a prophet. He heard the voice of God. He spoke the word of God. But one day, God revealed himself. And he cried out in deep contrition, Woe is me, for I am When was the last time I asked myself that I mourned over my sinfulness? over I mourned over the propensities of my heart? When I mourned over my, my fleshly penchant and appetites that are contrary to God and His Word? See, until we understand our exceeding sinfulness and how vile we are in our human nature, We will never mourn as we should or grieve as we should or understand God's grace. Because that's the door to really understanding and appreciating God's grace and forgiveness. Why do you think Mary wept as she did, as she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears? And those who mocked her, Jesus said, to him who is forgiven much, loveth much. She realized what a great sinner she was, but how much greater the grace and the love of God was toward her. I'm sorry, bear with me for just a few moments because this is such an important part as I close my message this morning. That there are distinct characteristics to this kind of mourning, because I don't want you to leave here condemned. Because that's just what the enemy would want us to feel, condemnation, oh I'm this dirty rotten sinner. First thing that we want to understand is that this kind of mourning arises from a humility of our hearts. You know, in our humanity, we're just prideful people. It's just part of our nature. We let's blame it on Adam and Eve. That's where we inherited it from. You know, mother, I'd rather do it myself. We're independent. We we feel like we know it all. We can do it all. We don't need help. We're prideful. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's get on with it. But when we begin to see who we really are and how our personal righteousness is as filthy rags, you know what? We need to be careful because even as Christians, we we can really you know get into the Word and get into prayer, and then we start getting puffed up. Oh, wow! I've really I'm in the Word. Yeah, God really, he's, he's impressed with me. And boy, instead of spending a half hour in prayer today, I spent a whole hour in prayer today. And you know, we, that's our righteousness. And our righteousness is his filthy rights. God accepts us not because we're in the word and we're in prayer. He accepts us because of the righteousness of his son and what Jesus did for us on the cross, whether we read the Bible or not. Amen. to be in communion fellowship with him. The second thing is spiritual mourning is a matter of the heart. Our heart is right. We just don't mouth words, but we're really in earnest. And the best illustration of this is Saul in 1 Kings uh, chapter, which chapter was that? Well, wherever it was in in uh, 1 Kings where he took the plunder for himself when God said don't touch a thing, don't save a thing. And when he was confronted by the prophet Samuel who came, he said, he was so proud of himself, I I, I did it all, I, I obeyed the command of the Lord. And Samuel said, what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? He was caught. This King Saul was filled with pride and arrogance that he wanted to do it his way. When he was confronted with the truth, he had nowhere to hide. And then he finally confessed, yeah, I sinned, I transgressed. The law of the Lord, Samuel, I, I really messed up. But now let's look at his heart. Was he really sincere? Was he really in earnest? Because then he says something really revealing. He says, I've sinned, but... Samuel, please come with me to the elders because I'm going to go meet with the elders of Israel right now and it's important that I have you as the prophet of the Lord by my side because that is what brings me honor. It's like this is affirming who I am as the king. The prophet's right by my side. Well, we know the rest of the story. The point that I'm wanting to make today is Saul did not have a change in heart. He was not spiritually mourning Alexander McLaren says, that great pulpiteer from yesteryear says this, if we have never been down on our knees before God, feeling what a wicked man or woman we are, and hugely, we I hugely doubt whether we will ever stand with a radiant face before God and praise Him throughout eternity for the mercy that He has shown to us. So this humility, this Morning, spiritual mourning, arises from humility. It's a matter of the heart. And thirdly, this, this is the most important point. It's infused with hope. What do I mean by that? You know, the devil tempts us to sin. And then after he tempts us and we fall prey to the temptation, then he condemns us. You dirty, rotten sinner. How can you call yourself a Christian? How can you as a believer who you go to church on Sunday morning and you're, you're waving your hands and you're praising the Lord and then you did something that nasty and that dirty or you thought that evil, perverted thought? How can you? That's the devil. who will bring you to an end of yourself. who will bring you to a place of despair. But he will never, ever bring you to hope in Jesus Christ. The difference between how the devil operates and God operates when the Holy Spirit brings us to an end of ourselves and we're open and saying, God, show me my heart. Show me my sinfulness that I might repent. He will also bring us to hope in Jesus Christ. That's how he works. We've quoted the scripture, but 2 Corinthians 6.10 we read, the true Christian is sorrowful but yet he is always rejoicing. See, there's a two-sided coin here. While the true Christian always acknowledges their inadequacies and we say, who is sufficient for these things? I know I, I don't have what it takes. But by the same token, when we mourn before God in humility and acknowledging that we don't have it in ourselves, then we say our sufficiency is of God the true Christian, when he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Then the Holy Spirit infuses hope in us, and we can say, but thanks be unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are more than conquerors, through him who has loved us. Amen. Know this this morning, without that hope, We are not spiritually mourning. The devil is just making you despair. Don't let him pull that on you today. When we say with the Apostle Paul that we're the chiefest of sinners, at the same time, we're infused with the hope that says, but by the grace of God, I am who I am because I am not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God I'm not the old man that I once was. By His grace and by His Spirit, He's changing me from glory unto glory. This is true Christianity. Mourning their sin, but not ending there because the Word of God and the promise of Jesus Himself is, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted." Do you know, Christian friend, there is no comfort like the comfort of the Holy Spirit when we know that after we've repented, that burden of guilt and shame is lifted and we can breathe freely because we are forgiven, we are embraced by our Heavenly Father. There's no guilt, there's no condemnation. Jesus came to comfort those who mourn. And isn't that just the mission that Isaiah prophesied concerning Jesus? To con- console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do we want to be blessed today? Do we want to be comforted today? Yes. Then let's get ready to do some weeping. It's one of the healthiest things that we could ever do. Do you know that even in the natural, they say crying is a psychological mechanism that God has created so that we can have a catharsis. Debbie could help explain that since she's a nurse. A catharsis is something that cleanses us and washes us and just makes us feel all better again. That's what true, genuine, biblical repentance does for us. So this morning, if we're acknowledging sinful mourning that's eating away at our souls like a cancer, let's come to Jesus today and repent and find His forgiveness. But if it's spiritual mourning, know that the Lord is pleased that we have a broken spirit and a contrite heart because he said this is pleasing to him and he desires to bring us his comfort. I'm gonna close with this quote by Leonard Ravenhill, that great revivalist. He says, five minutes inside eternity and we will wish that we had sacrificed more, that we had wept more, that we had bled more, that we have grieved more, that we have loved more, that we have prayed more, and that we have given more. Today we have an opportunity to change that so that there's no regret when we get to heaven. I love what Mike Bickle says, and I've probably said it a dozen times, but it bears repeating. Lord, as he prays, shock me now. Don't let me stand before you and be shocked later. Of all the things that were in my life that I never repented of, all the the ways that I still attached myself to the world and loved the world more than I loved you, all the missed opportunities, shock me now. I don't know about you, but I'm saying, Jesus, shock me now. And I confess before you as the saints of God in this church that I don't mourn over my sinful self as I should. But I'm asking God to just give me more contrition, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. Because I know he will not despise that. He will take pleasure in that. And he will reveal himself. And he will bring his comfort. His grace. His strength. And his peace into our lives. As we humble ourselves. As we get our hearts right before God. And allow him by his spirit. To do what only he can do. In bringing us into right alignment. With his word. As his kingdom disciples. So many Christians out there. They're not kingdom disciples. They're not mourning, as God would have them mourn, bringing them into a closer relationship with him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As a closing prayer this morning, I want us to sing along with that song, Created Me a Clean Heart. I think I'm clean, but Lord... Where are those closed doors that I've shut off from you, shut off from my own awareness and consciousness? Because I feel like that I've given most of my heart that this is part of me that I can keep for myself. But I acknowledge today that if you are not Lord over all, then you are not Lord at all. So I come to you today with a contrite heart, the broken spirit, have mercy on me, cleanse me, bring me to a place of deep repentance that I might know your comfort, that I might know the hope that there is because Jesus died and paid the price for my forgiveness. He died and paid the price so that I might be drawn closer and closer and closer to you in Jesus' name. Stay with me as we sing this song together. If you feel you just want to come and spend a moment in prayer at the altar, you're welcome.